Good morning. Grace and I have cherished the last couple of months that we've been married. Um, and it was very meaningful to us to be married here in this community. And I know that now, Grace is now experiencing what I've known for some time now, that this family is a loving family that continues to grow and continues to support one another. And um, she is being blessed by that. It's good to feel like you fit in and belong, isn't it? It was about three years ago that I was invited to attend a conference. So a group of friends and I went down to LA and it was down at the uh, Sheraton Gateway, right by the airport. And as I walked through those sliding doors into the main lobby, I was just transported into a totally different realm of existence. Because everywhere I looked, it was just a sea of yellow with splatterings of black hair and brown eyes. There were hundreds of Adventist Asian American young adults just roaming around everywhere as part of this conference. I truly understood at that point what it, me what it means when it says to be in and not of something. Because growing up in the South, I have never encountered a group of young adults, Asian young adults, in that mass. I looked around the hotel lobby looking for the nearest exit, and I didn't find one easily accessible. So I swallowed hard and I walked in. This tension of knowing that I don't really belong, even though that most of the people around me look just like me. Have you experienced that before? If you have, then you know what Peter is trying to talk about in 1 Peter. We start our series this morning in, first, in the book of 1 Peter. And 1 Peter, this book that is written to the Christians of the Roman Empire, this letter that's supposed to be carried on from church to church. 1 Peter, more than any other book, encourages the reader to find themselves engaged in their world. He's writing to a chosen group that are now strangers within their own setting. They're strangers because they are now citizens of a holy nation. He's writing to encourage them to live up to their identity as kingdom people. And so the letter starts by laying the groundwork for their identity, where they get their identity from as followers of the Jesus way through the hope and mercy that Jesus provides. 
And so Peter writes, since you have this hope in Jesus, to grow up, he says in chapter two, verse two, and take action. Be something that identifies you as a follower. It's in chapter two, verses nine through 12 of 1 Peter that he gets more explicit about what exactly he's asking for. He's encouraging the followers to do. Turn with me there, it's on the screen. Read with me. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from your sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. That's a steep calling. He's asking us a lot, isn't it? Peter's call to holiness expressed in genuine Christian love and decent social behavior is a voice that must be heard. At the same time, he is sensitive to the pain that will come from former friends that, towards us that, who recently decided to follow Jesus. Now, many of us have been taught lots of things about Jesus, right? We've all been through the education system. We've all been through from tiny tots and crater roll all the way on up. We've been taught a lot about Jesus. And many of us have been taught that the reason Jesus came to earth was to teach us how to what? Get to heaven, right? Isn't that why, isn't that what Jesus teaches her, right? Teaches us how to get to heaven? Can I question that a little bit this morning? I'd like to propose that Jesus didn't come to tell us how to get to heaven after we died, but rather tell us how the kingdom of heaven can be experienced here while you and I our children and grandchildren are still living. We are taught a little bit about this in the Lord's Prayer. We all know the Lord's Prayer. You can probably say it in your sleep if you had to. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May we leave here and go to your kingdom which is in heaven because there your will is done. Is that what it says? Anybody kind of not recognize that part? You know that that's not what the Lord's Prayer says. 
It says what? May your kingdom, somebody, come. Thy will what? Be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. If we take that teaching seriously, then we have to look at our lives, our families, and our world in a different way. We have to. And this soon approach of Jesus, and I do believe that Jesus will come soon, cannot give rise to frantic calls to superhuman perfection. Instead, we find calm and level-headed admonitions to behave with holiness in the presence of God. We love one another. We honor them. We respect them. And if we take the kingdom of God here on earth seriously, we have to look at peace. We have to look at conflict and reconciliation in a different way. It means that we engage in the world and in conversations that affect humanity and our world in a positive way. As engaged Christians, sometimes, sometimes it means that we look across the freeway Do you recognize that field? Anybody? Can we go to the next slide? Have you seen that sign before? It all leads to this building right here that you're going to see. Do you know what that, do you know, anybody know what that building is? Have you seen that building before? Lynn knows. A couple people know. What building is that? It's a school in Calamesa, over by Avenue L. What's unique about it? It's empty. It's a brand new school building that sits empty. If we're engaged Christians, it means that we start conversations and find solutions in our city for the school that sits empty rather than educating our children because it has no road. Other times, if we're engaged Christians, and I'm speaking directly to myself right now, it means that when it's 110 degrees outside, we don't cool our houses to 70 degrees just because we can in the middle of an energy crisis. Sometimes that's what, what it means to be an engaged Christian. But it always means when you're an engaged Christian in your world, like Peter is calling you to, it always means that you are aware of the major conversations in our world that affect the chosen because those issues have to matter to God's people. When we engage in kingdom living on earth, we may at times be prone to unjust suffering. And Peter addresses this as well. He calls them to submit without retaliation. And as one person I respect puts it, 
There are many wonderful people who do good things and are generous and compassionate. But what sets us apart? This person says that it has to be the way we respond, how we respond differently when we are wronged. Because we know God, when someone treats us badly, we don't respond passive aggressively, we don't retaliate, and we don't get angry. We respond with respect and love, and we respond in good faith. This means that we do not give in to the temptations to take the easy way out. Peter pleads with us to stay in our world advancing kingdom behaviors. The readers of this letter were to recognize that not only does he want them to avoid immoral conduct, but he wants them to display the kind of conduct that the society would note as praiseworthy. Rarely we find modern day examples of this type of engaged living that is modeled well. But within the last two weeks, we've been reminded of what it means to live out our lives in, in this tension. The tension experienced between the mortal and the divine. The tension experienced when one lives as a chosen among those that do not recognize yet their calling to be chosen. We understand now that Mother Teresa of Calcutta, you know this person? Yeah? The Nobel Prize winner for her life commitment to these precious ones, she lived within this tension that Peter is talking about. She wasn't always sure about the presence of whom she believed to her death. Which illustrates to us that engaged living is a choice. It's a precious insight of our journeys as followers. She is one who has lived such a good life among the pagans, not for her own sake. It is through her life that even the pagans have seen her good deeds and have seen the glory of God. I think that echoes what Jesus taught about the kingdom and what Peter is writing to the churches in Rome. In the past year and a half, I have waded into the sea of Korean Americans. You notice I use the word wade and not swim. One day I may swim on its shores, primarily because I will be strongly encouraged to do so by grace. But I am learning to engage in conversations that embrace the tension that I experience. It's not easy for me. But I know that it's meaningful for grace. It will be meaningful for me and maybe even others. Could it be that Peter is calling us to do the same? To engage in kingdom living now as citizens deeply involved in the world. Living our lives, embracing tension between who, who we used to be and what the world can be with us. Not because the world we live in is fantastic, 
but because we can experience life of the kingdom where we are at. It's not an easy thing to be engaged in our world, but we are called to be an ordinary people that not only acknowledges God with their mouths, but an ordinary people that proclaim him by the lives they lead. We are all just ordinary people with an extraordinary call to be kingdom strangers in a familiar place. So go now as ordinary kingdom people, engaging yourself in a world that so desperately needs his love. Amen.